we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence. The show where hundreds of years ago, there was a violent conflict between two warring factions. On one side, sex. On the other side, violence. Together, they fought for dominance when really they should have held hands and made movies awesome. Nary shall the two ever meet. (laughs) Never, ever. Always opposed. Never harmonious. Two households. So deep. So fucking deep. Hello, everybody. My name is Orlando, and I'm joined by my co-host, roommate, and uh, guest, Ned. Say hi, Ned. What is happening? How are you? How's it going? How's life? Oh, you know, uh, it goes. It goes. Ça travaille, as they say. Now, the, France, the reason sometimes. for my um, very ominous narration at the top of the show is that we're watching Underworld. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we are. Now, Underworld is a 2003 action horror film directed by Len Wiseman, written by Danny McBride, not that Danny McBride. Oh, wow. I was, uh, my McBride. mind was about to be really blown. <laughs> But uh, no. Although the comedian Danny McBride is also a screenwriter, but this is a different Danny McBride. <laughs> this is based on a story by Mr. McBride, uh, who, and it was also written by Kevin Griveaux and Wiseman. Uh, Underworld stars uh, the young and lovely Kate Beckinsale, very British also. Uh, Scott Speedman, Michael Sheen, Shane Brawley, and Bill Nye. The film centers on the secret history of vampires and lichens. And uh, a lichen, by the way, is an abbreviated form of the word lycanthrope, which means (gasps) werewolf. Mm -hmm. This is the first, chronologically the second, but the first installment of the Underworld franchise, of which there are five films. And uh, I've only seen three. The first three are now available on Netflix to stream. We are streaming this movie on Netflix tonight. The main plot of this movie revolves around Celine, uh, who is a vampire death dealer hunting lichens, and she finds herself attracted to a human who is being targeted by the lichens. Now, after this human is bitten by a lichen, Celine must decide whether to, to follow her duty and kill him or go against her clan and save him. Have you ever seen this movie, Ned? I saw it like a few times back in the high school days, Um, but I have still retained almost no memory of Mm. like the specifics of what actually happens in the film. Yeah. Um, 2003, like it's weird. We've definitely seen older movies, but like... 2003 feels fucking ancient. It's really far away. It's really, really long time ago. Especially for a movie like this. Like, we've seen movies 
from the early 2000s that are much more memorable, I think, than this movie was. Yeah, I don't, yeah, this one, yeah, definitely not not a lot that's uh, mm-hmm. stuck around. It's it's there's a lot of sameness to this film. Like uh, it's a very yeah, it's a very sort of like drab color scheme is what right, I remember. And, and like I, very washed out. It definitely feels like it, it's like a you know interview with a vampire meets the Matrix. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. Well, because uh, it it was definitely a big film like within my circle of friends. We all kind of like you know grew up obsessing around the Matrix mm-hmm. and other movies that definitely were inspired by right. like that style of right. uh, action, um, like uh, Equilibrium and Underworld mm-hmm. and uh, a few other movies yeah. like that. So uh, so yeah, it's definitely it definitely shares a lot of DNA with the Matrix uh, is is what I remember. One thing that I'm really interested in in talking about after we watch the film is the world building of this movie. Because mm-hmm. when I was watching the movie for research for tonight's episode, what struck me was, and, and this is, seems to be a common theme with all these bad movies that, we're, that we watch, is that the idea, in this case the world building, is so much stronger than the actual movie that we get. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear, I know that you're, you're a, um, not just like a big uh, movie guy, but you're a big video game guy. There's mm-hmm. a lot of world building in video games. Yeah. Um, and I know that just just plain fan of stories. Um, so I'm, I'm really eager to get your reaction to the world behind the film. Yeah, it'll definitely be very interesting to revisit. Also, uh, I am always excited for anything involving Bill Nighy, so uh, oh, yeah. I'm really, really stoked to and see Kate him. Kate Beckinsale. And, I think that she... Yeah. I think she's great personally. I, I feel like she is one of those actresses that... She gets stuck in a certain mold, and so we don't see her break out and, and do like a lot of interesting work. But I feel like she's actually a pretty strong performer. Yeah. And I, I actually do enjoy her performance in this a lot, too. Cool. So uh, let's dive right in. If you guys want to play at home, uh, just watch the movie on Netflix. Or if you don't have Netflix, you can rent the movie. It's available wherever you can rent movies on demand. Um, and then come back with us after the break. We're going to play some trivia and then discuss the movie at length. Are you ready to watch Underworld, Ned? Mm-hmm. Let's dive in. All right. So let's watch the movie, and we'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. We just saw Underworld. First yeah. reactions. What'd you think? Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I actually really dug it. Like, uh-huh. like significantly more than I was expecting to dig it. Okay. Like revisiting it. Mm-hmm. I think like it. One. I mean, one of the big things that struck me about it, like we talked about it a bit before we started rolling, was. 
like how much it borrows from the matrix and right. it definitely did that and then some yeah. like to an absurd Ripped degree like matrix. like almost almost the entire visual identity of the matrix yeah. is just completely lifted in this movie like mm-hmm. the generic looking sort of city that you can't really tell right. what city it is uh the as you pointed out while we were watching it like the sort of dark green gray mm-hmm. like sort of saturated color scheme um the music even like the music was really really evocative of like the the great score from the matrix it really just really really on a visual and aesthetic level yeah very much lifts a lot from the matrix um i really really dug the story of this movie like i actually Mm -hmm. had a lot of fun as it was sort of like unveiling the mystery. Like I think it actually had a pretty good mystery and like the, the reversals of like who the quote unquote good guys are and who the quote unquote bad guys are is actually like pretty cool and pretty well done. Like I found myself really enjoying like the reveal of Lucian as like kind of, you know, actually like being this sort of like sympathetic character and, and, uh, and uh, the reversal of Bill Nighy's character as really being the villain and right. all that stuff. Like, uh, it actually, yeah, made for some really interesting twists and turns that I had a lot of fun with. Yeah, it's not it's not very black and white. I think, like, a lot of, um, a lot of these types of movies, uh, sometimes there's no depth to who the heroes and villains are. They're just, like, good or bad. Yeah. But this one definitely... Like all of the characters are very much shades of gray. Kind yeah, of very. Yeah, very much so. Because again, it's like it's vampires versus werewolves. Mm-hmm. So like you know, nobody's ever like super absolutely good. Right. But like, yeah, I think they did a really good job with uh, with having those twists and turns. The third act of the movie definitely gets a little muddy and is pretty. You know, oversaturated with lots of, you know, pretty forgettable action sequences and stuff like that. The action overall is pretty forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. The action, it's like, yeah, because they're because, again, they're trying to do a lot of the same sort of stuff that they did in The Matrix, Mm -hmm. except like without nearly as much of the resources or the flash like it. You know, it just it. It's a copy of a copy, basically. So, so yeah. There's, there's not that much cool stuff that happens. I think like the the one memorable sort of action flare thing that I remember from the last time I watched it, mm-hmm. it was definitely a highlight this time. Was just like that moment when uh, Celine like shoots a circle in the yeah. floor for her to escape. Like yeah, that was pretty. That's cool. pretty memorable. Um, yeah, and and I would say that like the special effects didn't age as horribly. Like. Yeah, it's a well done. Yeah, the 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 lichen effects were a little rough, but like I think they did it. But like the fact that the movie was so dark and grainy helps to obscure the the tougher effects. So so yeah, I I actually ultimately found it to be pretty solid and pretty fun. And um, uh, I say fun, the movie definitely takes itself a little too seriously for my taste. Like Mm -hmm. there's really. There's not a drop of humor in this and movie. It could have at been all. a little more pulpy, for sure. Yeah, a yeah, more I mean, campy, especially yeah. since. I mean, we'll talk about well, it a little bit more, but I think especially Bill Bill Nye and Michael Sheen 
they both really tap into the camp in their performance. Yeah, but yeah. the rest of the actors really don't. Yeah, they. Yeah, they definitely are are both excellent and yeah. um and and really infuse the movie with a ton of uh, of personality. Yeah, like like too. all the personality of the film is definitely in those two performances. Mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, like I don't necessarily need it to be like a total romp. I don't right. need quips left and right, but like a little more fun would have been yeah, nice. Yeah, just like a little more, a little more humor, just like a little more levity, or, or some some way to some way to like set it apart from like the complete copy job of the Matrix <laughs> right. that it was trying to be. Like just just a little a little something to make it pop. Another more. interesting thing about it is that it, you know it, it, the whole idea of the design of it was is also like meant to be like a like a modern at the time modern day update of the old universal horror films of the 1930s and 40s hmm. so a lot of the aesthetic comes from that as well except that they replace like certain things for others and in this case what they did was they replaced all the black velvet like the evening gowns the spooky organ music they replaced all that with uh, matrix inspired uh, l- all the leather, yeah, the, the trench coats, uh, and then of course, instead of like the the spooky organ music, we get all the new metal and the soundtrack. Yeah, uh, but the funny thing is that this movie seems so far removed from where we are today now that it does feel. Even though, like you said, like the effects don't feel dated, I do feel like the world of, of the movie feels like it's just as outdated as like those old horror films. It doesn't has like a vintagey feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. There, there is something about it that, (laughs) I mean, aside from the one moment where a character like takes the old Nokia Nokia brick (laughs) to their ear, um, there, there is actually a, yeah, the film actually does a pretty good job of sort of feeling a bit like separated from a specific time period in a way, um, which I liked. And I, and I liked the idea of the conceit of this film that like, it's the centuries old war, but like that they're fighting it with modern weapons and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like, I think that they, it, it definitely like that stuff is pretty cool. Like, it, cause, cause I actually can't necessarily think of that many, you know, like a few different franchises tap into the, you know, the, you know, the idea of like werewolves versus vampires, right. like Buffy and the vampire slayer and the twilight. Yeah. And, um, so, so I do like this particular take on sort of how this sort of centuries old feud would look in right. a more modern setting. And I like the idea of them like having like super modern guns and, uh, and updated style and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just so derivative of the Matrix in Very in, much in, so. in conceiving that um, that it, it's it's impossible not to keep being reminded of the Matrix, which you know is just completely in a league of its own. So um, so yeah. we're gonna we're gonna discuss uh, a little bit more about this movie here in a second. But before we do, let's play some underworld trivia. Indeed. How are you feeling about this? You feel confident? You know. We'll see. I, I mean, I, I, when we were talking about doing this movie, I definitely remarked a lot on how forgettable I felt it was. Right. Um, that said, I really enjoyed it this time mm-hmm. around. So uh, I, I, who knows? Now, who I do, actually knows? Just a quick disclaimer about the trivia. I do feel like the trivia skews more towards the, the backstory and the world building than it does the actual events of the movie because... Because I I think that the actual events of the movie are very forgettable. Actually, at the end of the day, 
I think like a week or two from today, we're probably not going to remember a lot of what happened in the movie. What we're going to remember is the backstory and the world building. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, well, we'll see how much of the mythos I uh, I, I held on to then, because um, because yeah, that all that backstory stuff was definitely uh, I thought pretty well done. Here comes question number one. Yep. Um. So the whole movie starts out, and uh, there's going to be an upcoming ceremony. Uh, that's held at Victor's mansion, who that's now being taken care of by Craven, the vampire. Um, and they're all awaiting. Basically, an elder is going to come and go to sleep or hibernation, and they're going to awaken another elder. So, who is the elder that is arriving, and who is the elder that is being awoken? Oh, um, the one being awoken is Marcus. Uh-huh. And the one that's being put to sleep... Oh, it begins with an A, so mm-hmm. I'm going to say Alyssa. <gasps> Alyssa's not correct. Uh, oh, wait, can, uh, is it Alinda? No. I'll give you one more chance. Okay. Uh, oh. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call it. I'm gonna call it. I'm no, sure. no, you're not gonna take one more chance. One okay, more. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, uh, uh. It's like not Ashley and it's not Amanda, because those are not fitting with the, <laughs> the aesthetic at uh, all. Hi, uh, it's Amanda. Uh, mm, uh, Amara. No, it's okay. Amelia. Amelia! Oh, yeah. A.M. I got closer! Yeah, I got closer! I thought when you said Amanda, I thought you for sure you were going to get it. Oh Amelia and Amelia. Marcus. Amelia. Ooh, so right off the bat, you got one of them, though, but right off shaky, the bat, shaky. a little shaky there. Oh, this is bad. Uh-oh, this is real bad. Not a good start. And you, took, and you took a question away that you knew I knew the answer to, <laughs> so we're going to see. We're going to see. Okay, so here comes question number two. Oh, boy. What started the war between the Lycans and the vampires? Uh, it was the... It was the killing of Victor's daughter, Sonia, um, who he killed for uh, having an affair and planning to marry uh, Lucian the Lycan. Um, Correct. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could go into a little more detail, <laughs> but that's the that's the gist of it. That you got that one. That one's correct. Now, an interesting thing about the, we've we only saw Sonia in uh, flashbacks. Yes, we we got little snips, snippets of that backstory, which is expounded upon in the third movie, which is actually a prequel. The third movie is called Rise of the Lycans. Yeah, and Michael Sheen comes back and plays uh, young Lucian at that, uh, in that movie. We get Bill Nye as well. That's um, pretty fucking rad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really I like the third movie. Actually, I, I like the the backstory of this. Lot. In fact, I find it so that that's the most interesting part about this movie. So it was really cool to actually see a movie about that. I think Um, the the cool thing about or the interesting thing about the flashbacks in this movie. Now, the the actress who played Sonya in this movie uh, or in the flashbacks that we saw was Rona Mitra. Yeah, she she looked familiar. She had uh, initially auditioned to play Celine. 
but she didn't get the part. And initially, she's not in this movie at all. In the theatrical release, she's not in the movie. Oh. In Rise of the Lycans, they bring her in to play Sonya. Yeah. And then when they re-released this film in uh, 2014 for, the, I think, like the Blu-ray release, they replaced the original actress, Jasmine Damek, in the flashback scenes with Rona Mitra to tie in the series together. Oh, that's... That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's that's cool. I I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I feel a little bad for the original actress, right. I guess. But that's like, the kind of Lucasing that I'm here for. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, like, <laughs> yeah, that's not nearly as egregious as uh, as Hayden Christensen's right. smoldering eyes exactly. at Luke Skywalker yeah. at the end of Return of the Jedi. This one actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right, so you got that one. All right. So you're doing better now. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Got we'll one and a half. I'll, I'll stumble <laughs> out of the gate, but uh, we're back on track. Here comes question number three. All right. Why are the Lycans after Michael? Why specifically are the Lycans after Michael? They are after him because he is the human descendant of Corvinus. I'm kind of ish on the name, but Corvinus. Um, who, uh, who had a, I, I was a little muddled on the specifics of it, but essentially he had a, a sort of a virus that allowed him to be, uh, inf- potentially infected by both a vampire and a lichen at the same time. He is a direct descendant of Alexander Corvinus. You're right. Corvinus, yeah. I'm really surprised that you got the name since you didn't get Amelia, but you, uh, you, yeah. you got Corvinus. Like, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, Derek Jacobi plays Alexander Corvinus in the next movie. Ooh. Yeah. That's cool. He's probably he's probably one of the best parts of the next movie. But the next movie's not as good as this one. Yeah. But uh, but uh, he's pretty cool. Derek Jacobi's always awesome. Yeah. Always and cool. uh, and and yeah, he's he's the father of the lichens and the vampires. Yeah. He had he had, uh, he had three children. One of them, as as Bill Nye said, one of them bitten by a bat. Mm-hmm. One of them by a wolf, and the <laughs> other cursed to roam the land as an immortal man. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So again, like the, the world man. again the world building is crazy in this movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, you got that one. So you're doing okay. You're you're redeeming right, yourself. I am a little bit. We'll see. We'll see how my redemption arc. Here plays comes out. question number four. Number four. What did Craven bring back with him as evidence of Lucian's demise? He brought back, uh, he brought back branded skin from Lucian that was cut from him, though, though, as is clear by both his name, his very thematically <laughs> apt name, there is much skepticism as to whether the coward even cut the skin off mm-hmm. himself. <laughs> the branded skin from Lucian's very arm. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Uh, that was a cool moment when she's like looking through the book and then like she just flips the page and there it is, just the branded skin tacked yeah. to, the, to the page. <laughs> All I have to say is ick to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like leather at this point. I was a little uh, curious though, because it like the the brand uh, from Lucian's arm seemed to pretty 
closely resemble like the symbols that were over Victor's uh, tomb thing. Uh, I don't know if that was intentional backstory. or a backstory thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a little a little intrigued by that. Oh wait, I think I get it because okay, I maybe I, if if I'm correct, tell me. Okay. So I think because because yeah, the brand looked like Victor's brand. Mm-hmm. So I think because Luce, Lucius uh, tell, talks about how the lichens used to be servants of the vampires. So that means that that he was branded with Victor's thing because Victor owned him. Yeah, they were slaves. They were yeah. basically like cattle to them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, But the fucked up thing is that they're like like he uh like he says at the end when when the Craven or or it's after Craven shoots him or something, but yeah. uh, there's like a moment when Lucius says calls him cousin. And that's like really fucked up that they're actually like cousins pretty much in the bloodline yeah and yet they they completely like the vampires just completely shit on the werewolves yeah and you kind of like i feel i feel like this movie is very sympathetic to the werewolves over the vampires as a whole yeah a little bit i mean definitely as far as lucian is concerned like it's definitely clear that he's he's got he's got bigger better things in mind and he it's clear though that he also kind of struggles to keep the other lichens in line right and, and all that stuff and you know they 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 do shoot their way pretty pretty guilt-free through a lot of yeah. lichens even after that reveal right um, so yeah more, more more learning to be done <laughs> yeah four more movies worth of learning to be done yeah yeah more more room to grow <laughs> all right so you got question number four all right here comes the last question all right. Question Do I get bragging five. rights if I get four point five questions right? Is that is that bragging once, rights? Once once you go past the halfway mark, I think that we've established that you've got bragging some, rights. Some some bragging rights. But some now rights. We, now right. we got to see just how much bragging how deep, rights. How deep? How it deep goes. into the roster you can go? I'm, I'm I'm feeling that. Okay. Here comes question number five. Yes. What type of bullets are the lichens now using on the vampires? Oh, they have. Oh, it's like. Ultraviolet infused bullets. Uh, yeah, that's an acceptable answer. Yeah, Irra- irradiated fluid. Irradiated fluid. But yeah. it's uh, ultraviolet ultraviolet ammunition is how they describe it. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, and the vampires turn around and then make silver nitrate bullets. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's anything the thing. you like, can do. I can do better. Like, a little bit. Well, that, yeah. That's that's like kind of again. That's like kind of the cool thing about this. Like I, I actually kind of dig the idea of like this sort of you know small scale arms race mm-hmm. between the two of them. That like as you know as modern technology evolves, like yeah, they they've got much. They've got fancier, you know, assault rifles with lots of attachments to them, and and uh, yeah, when they discover that the lichens have gotten their hands on those pretty lethal bullets, they then co-opt that technology into something more lethal for the lichens. Uh, the weapons so, in this movie are pretty cool. Yeah, overall. they're pretty awesome. Uh, and yeah. uh, Celine, I think that her handguns have become. I don't know. They're kind of iconic to this movie. I feel like you know, you you picture like yeah, even I mean, on the yeah, cover. Yeah, the fact that her pillows, pistols are like fully automatic is is right. pretty, is pretty fucking dope. And if I picture the cover like of the DVD of this movie, it's like her holding like that huge fucking gun. Yeah. Now those guns that she used are modified Beretta 92 FSs. They're made to look like Beretta 93R. 
They've been modified to fire in full automatic mode with a three-shot burst. And actually, if you slow down the scenes, you can see three rounds fire per trigger pull. Nice. Uh, they contain barrel weights attached, uh, probably to stand in for the compensator, and they use 20 to 30 round box magazines. She also uses a pair of two-tone Walther P99s, which are also pretty badass, uh, fitted with laser devices. Uh, they're BA-5 laser sights at the bottom of the barrels. The guns have been modified to lessen the weight required on the trigger to fire, almost as if they were fully automatic, and you can see Celine pulling the trigger for every shot in that case, but you hear fully automatic fire. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that, because I, I did kind of notice, especially in like those slow-mo shots, that like the, the guns do seem to kind of pivot a little bit in her grip right. a little bit and so uh it, like but sort of at a steady rhythm and i was like oh that's that's interesting that that's how she's able to take the recoil and i guess that's because she's she's repeatedly pulling the trigger right and uh so either doing that or firing three shots at a time well yeah exactly or, yeah it's it's that we're seeing we're seeing we're seeing her hand we're seeing her hand kind of Pull, pull on the gun repeatedly as opposed to just holding it down and right. then just holding it steady. Right. So that's that's why they're swaying like that. So that's that's actually really interesting and really cool. Yeah, yeah. Little yeah. little gun nut trivia. Yeah, yeah. That was some that was some nice gun porn. Um, I was I was really into it. All right. So you you did fight. You did great on the quiz. I think yeah, you only I missed feel, you only okay missed half a point. Yeah, yeah. And the easiest question I thought, but yeah, no, uh, that uh, that was the easiest question. It absolutely was. I just. I just I just got lost in that A name. So here comes the bonus question. All right. You don't need it, but we're going to have some fun. Now, the yeah, bonus question, it. as always, kind of like strays a little bit away from the world of the movie. It's more about general facts about people who are involved with the movie. Yeah. Um, and we see Wentworth Miller. He's an actor who played Adam, Michael's colleague. Now, Mr. Miller was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actor in 2005. For his role in which serial drama? Do you remember the actor I'm talking about? Yeah, well, my you said it was Michael's work colleague, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna say Prison Break. Correct! Yeah. It was Prison Break. All right, so I've got five points. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's 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 bragging rights. You definitely got bragging yeah, rights. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now he was nominated in 2005. That was for the show's first season. Yeah. which was pretty critically acclaimed. The show ran for like five seasons total, but the other seasons were definitely not as well received as yeah. the first season. I, I think I made it about like halfway through the first season. I like I like started a binge of it a little while back and uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was decent. It was pretty good. Um yeah, he's he's yeah, he's he's interesting. His yeah, his work's pretty pretty interesting. Um I'm pretty sure he was also in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think he was in the one where um uh, the the members of the swim team are mm. actually like fish monsters, and he was he was one of the one of the swim guys. Um, I don't remember that, but that I would have to go back and see that. That was that's yeah. pretty cool. See if I can pick him out. Yeah. Now this movie, Underworld, when it first came out, it got pretty mixed to negative reviews. Uh, I just want to read you some of the stuff that was said about the movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> Roger Ebert, who I know you love. <laughs> <laughs> <Said>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
He said, uh, and I quote, this is a movie so paltry in its characters and shallow in its story that the war seems to exist primarily to provide graphic visuals. Um, now, we have Andrew O'Hare, who gave it a mixed review. He said, by any reasonable standard, this dark vampire epic, all massive overacting, cologne commercial design, and sexy cat suits, sucks. But... At the very least, it gives a crap. He went on to concede that despite the movie's flaws, the complex vampire werewolf mythology backstory had been meticulously worked out. Do you agree with those assessments of the movie? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'd lean more towards. I think I'd lean more towards uh, the second review there. Mm-hmm. That I definitely, I definitely got the impression that they they weren't necessarily they weren't completely phoning it in like right. as far as the backstory is concerned like uh, yeah i really think that um yeah they they actually did go to you know a pretty decent effort to uh to conceive of a of a, of a quite compelling backstory mm-hmm. to to provide as a backdrop for for all of the action i think that where the film is lacking is in any form of like visual originality right but um but yeah no i think that uh but i do think that the mythology does kind of propel the story along um you know i think the writing is not that great like the sort of moment to moment dialogue is pretty the screenplay is not great yeah exactly mm-hmm. like it's it's pr- it's barely serviceable right. it kind of just moves things forward and um the most dialogue of- is, has very clunky moments of just like exposition yeah one and it's like and and really it's all the differences in the actors and the performances because i think like bill nighy and michael sheen both just like you gotta chew the dialogue yeah they they sink their teeth into it and so they really are able to sell it whereas like uh the actor who plays uh craven is really not that good and um so all of his stuff shane brawley shane brawley yeah i mean his performance is you know, it's it's not not the best, and <laughs> and so I mean, Craven is a pretty poor character overall. Right. Anyway, um, he's just he's so strikingly ineffectual. Anyway, mm-hmm. that it it surprises me that uh, Celine like humors him at all right. in any capacity <laughs> because he just so clearly like is not an imposing or authoritative he, person. He has at power, all. I guess, because because uh, Victor put him in charge. But I feel like she very clearly does not respect exactly. Him. Like it's just so clear, and also plus just the fact that like a big part of their dynamic is that he keeps making these advances on right. her and she's like he's the worst yeah he is so i'm not into it like i'm not into it <laughs> and 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 even victor like seems to have a bit of right. a chuckle over Aww. it just like oh that <laughs> sad boy sad sad you boy. want more most what you can't have <laughs> uh according to writer and actor kevin Graveau, who played Ray's the the werewolf with a very deep voice who by the way that's actually that's his actual voice a lot of people have yeah? asked, a lot of people have asked him if that was manipulated, and no, that's actually damn, his voice. yo, his it, deep that's voice. that's a fucking intense yeah. voice. Um, he's a, he's an actor and he's a comic book writer. Oh, that's that's fucking wild. So he wrote uh, he didn't write the screenplay. That was Danny McBride, but uh, but he wrote the story. He was one of the writers for the story. Oh, that's wild. That's and, that's really cool. And 
uh, I like I liked his character. Yeah. According to him, uh, the model for Celine was the psychic vampire from the of the Hellfire Club in the X Men comics. The vampire's name was the Black Queen Celine. Hmm. Um. Now. We both have already talked extensively about how similar this movie is to The Matrix. It's also apparently very similar to an RPG uh, that White Wolf created called Old World of Darkness. It's a tabletop RPG. And in fact, it was so similar to them that they sued the makers of the film for copyright infringement. Uh, They sued it for 17 counts were they claiming 70 points of unique similarity between White Wolf's role-playing games, specifically the ones called Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf the Apocalypse, and also just their creation, The World of Darkness, which is the universe which the games are set. Hmm. Um, The lawsuit never went to court because it was ultimately settled outside of court for an undisclosed amount. Hmm, that's interesting. I I've never played uh I've never played the uh the tabletop game. Uh so uh uh yeah, but that's, Have you heard that's of it? interesting. Um it sounds uh, it's it, it it sounds familiar because um there's a uh, a computer game uh that uh I think is in the universe called Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Oh, right. That's like mm-hmm. a uh that's like an RPG, obviously. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, that that game actually, um, I I've like I've like read some talk about it, like on Reddit, like in you know forums that talk about older games, uh-huh. and uh, and they talk a lot about how that game has like a pretty a pretty well fleshed out sort of world and backstory and stuff like that. Um, so that's uh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of makes sense. Um, that this lifted from that because yeah i think i remember that that game also having like a a pretty modern sort of like it being yeah like sort of a a modern vampire story like uh like i was saying to you at the beginning i was interested in in having your take as a as a video gamer or gamer period about about because the backstory of this very much feels like the backstory that you would get in a video game or a tabletop rpg it's it's that level of detail that you don't usually get from from B movies, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think yeah, the backstory definitely is 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 the best part. And also cuz like I think uh you know, uh, Celine's sort of backstory is a little undercooked in this movie, I feel like right. as well. Um and uh I think she she propels the movie along. Um it's it's I I and I think like they do a clear enough job of like of like showing what her motivations are, mm-hmm. but by the same token, it, I don't know. There's just something about it that's not as I don't know, not as compelling. Uh, again, right. it's weird because I think like I keep I keep coming back to the Matrix in a way because obviously like you know the Matrix is being propelled by Neo's you know desire to understand the yeah, truth his quest, yeah. and 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 understanding his role in the situation. And like in this movie, like the Neo role is kind of split between yeah, Celine and uh, Michael uh, because Michael obviously is the person who's not familiar with the world, and so. Um, so he, you know, he sort 
of serves as an audience surrogate for Celine to explain. And Michael doesn't have a lot of agency, though. That's the only thing. Is like, he, yeah, he steps into the role of the chosen one, like without wanting it at all, because he's kind of thr- thrust upon him. Yeah, it really is Celine's story. He just happens to like take the role of the chosen one. By the yeah, end yeah, which I which I find kind of interesting. Yeah, to sort of like to make him a more of a more of a MacGuffin for the right. movie than anything. Yeah, um, he is. Which yeah. is uh, yeah, which is kind of interesting. Uh, that yeah, that again they kind of split they kind of split that idea of that sort of you know protagonist audience surrogate role that Neo handled mm-hmm. on his own in the Matrix into Celine, who is the protagonist that moves the story forward, and Michael, who is the MacGuffin. And, yeah. and so, uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. I don't know that it necessarily works better because, again, I think, like, the two of them don't necessarily make as compelling characters on their own right. as Neo did yeah. as his own character. Absolutely. So, yeah. Two uh, halves of a whole. Let's go into the first of our GSV segments. The first one's called Shot 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 shots. Here's the big question. How many deaths in the movie? Um if you had to take a guess. There's a lot of deaths. Yeah, no. I'm going to say I'm going to ballpark it at I want to say it's somewhere in the 30s. No. Too high? Too high? No, it's way too low. Way too low. Way oh. too low. Oh man, uh is it in the 50s? Higher. Higher. Really? Yeah. Wait. There's a lot of death in this movie. They're just mowing down fuckers left and right. Yeah, I mean the third act is what fucks me up because like there, yeah, there's a lot of generic lichen deaths in that mm-hmm. third act, to be sure. Yeah, um, confirmed on-screen deaths are 67. 67? Yeah. W- wait. Yeah. Really? Wait. Yeah. That's according to both IMDb and moviebodycount.com. Okay. 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 Well, okay, I'll take it then. Here's an easier question. Yeah. How many deaths are is Celine herself accountable for mm. <laughs> um her I'd say I guess if there are 67 total in the movie then I think she's probably responsible for 15 to 20 yeah 18 nice yeah boom yeah okay Cool. Good solid eighteen for Celine. Yeah, yeah, that that works. That works. That works. Um, yeah, yeah. The you know, yeah, the action of this movie is pretty, yeah, pretty forgettable. That's kind of like one of the biggest um, negatives about it. You know, yeah. it's like because it's a very action heavy movie, and for it to not have like any real memorable set pieces kind of really hurts it. I think. Yeah, because like that, that first battle in, in the subway. It's just so reminiscent. That's the one where I, where you're like, oh my god, are we just watching a remake of The Matrix? It's yeah, so reminiscent. Very of the much Matrix. so. Very much so. And and honestly, like I think, you know, that like now that we're talking about it, now that we're talking about the action, like I, 
yeah, most of the action in the movie does kind of run together. Yeah. Um, I think that first subway fight is actually the best that it gets in the movie. Probably, because, yeah. Because it is kind of a cat and mouse sort of situation where it's just like three vampires and two like it. Yeah, there's and actually some so, entry because you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you, know? you don't Yeah, you don't know what's going on. And, and, and yeah, and there's more sort of like maneuvering around each other and, and trying to figure out what's happening and all that stuff. But then, yeah, once it kind of... Once the action escalates more and more, then, uh, yeah, it, it definitely gets more forgettable. And, um, yeah, like I said, the one cool thing was when she shoots a circle in the ground. Again, if she was able to take down lichens with a few shots, I'm not sure why that wasn't more of a waste of bullets. Mm-hmm. Like, Right. Yeah. Uh, something uh, interesting about that stunt. So she she first encounters Lucien. She gets cornered by the lichen. She fires her guns through the floor in order to escape. 11 years prior to that, this uh, same cinematic stunt is performed by the main character in a 1992 film called Nemesis. Um, On an episode of Mythbusters, uh, they made an experiment uh, to see if if it's possible for a person to do that. And they... To to, to like shoot guns in a circle around yourself until the ground gives out. Right. And they determined that the character of Celine could not, in fact, shoot a circular hole in the ground to escape the light. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like if you were able to shoot yourself enough damage into the floor for it to give out, if... I mean, you'd have to have, like, all very powerful bullets being shot yeah. at very quickly. Um, but also, it would degrade pretty unevenly, I think. So yeah. it certainly wouldn't, it wouldn't give out, it wouldn't give out smoothly like Mm-mm. that. So, um, But it is a cool effect. It's a very yeah, cool it's, Yeah, it's very cool. Like I said, it's the one thing that I remember from it from yeah. when I watched it a few times in high school. So not even just once, like a few times, like and, I've and, already seen and, it. And Celine, so. Celine in the in the scenes, even even when the action's pretty generic, um, they do a good job of at least like making her appear to be cool when she's like, yeah, like, no, definitely. I mean, violent. yeah, she she strikes all those like action poses pretty well and stuff like that. It's just like, again, they're just so evocative of the Matrix. And and they're the only thing it has, too, because, again, there's not nearly as much cinematic flair as the Matrix had with like their use of bullet time of like you know, oh, right. doing, of doing the slow motion th- with the moving camera. It does do some like weird that. slow motion stuff. Yeah, they do some slow motion like, here, eh. but but like it's 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 a little more standard and um and and none of it really yeah, none of it really is is as clear or, you know, well choreographed as the uh as the stuff in the Matrix. We talked about Michael Sheen as one of the highlights of the movie, and I agree. I think that he's really... I mean, Michael Sheen is a great actor. Yeah. Um, and how he he really, you know, chews the dialogue well and all that. He's the leader of the Lycans, but we never actually see him transform into a werewolf uh, in the present-day timeline. We see him only do it in the flashback, Yeah. Um, which I thought was pretty interesting because all the other werewolves, like, you know... And and I guess it's implied because he's one of the older ones too that he can change at will, but he never really changes during the movie. No, he doesn't. Um, I I was impressed by that big bite he takes out of Michael's shoulder. Right. I thought that was that was a pretty cool moment, especially when blood. his eyes go like yeah. white while he's doing it. Like that that was pretty fucking rad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, interesting thing about him playing a werewolf because he he plays a werewolf who dis- dislikes vampires in this. Um, and in, uh, in Twilight, in the Twilight movies, 
he plays a vampire who hates werewolves. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say like I, I am I'm pretty sure he was in one of the Twilight movies yeah. as a villainous vampire yeah. character. So um, yeah, no, he 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 nails both of those. Like yeah, he yeah, there's something he seems to get about like supernatural gang leader type deals, you know, like. You gotta have that charisma, you gotta have that deviousness, and uh, yeah, he's, he's got all that. Let's talk a little more about uh, Bill Nye's Victor. Um, mm, yeah. One of the things I love about Bill Nye's career mm-hmm. is that, like, he he just, he has, like, uh, I, should, I should know more about his history, but, like, I think, does, doesn't Bill Nye have, like, a, a history of, like, stage performance? Like, wasn't he in the RSC or something, or... Um, I'm not sure if he was on the RSC, but I do know that he definitely has some a lot of stage. Yeah, acting. yeah, well, yeah, just like he's he's got these incredible chops as an actor, um, but he also is like in all these great movies where like he plays these characters who sometimes just have like these outrageous makeup getups. Like, right, he does like that a he, lot. Yeah, when he does like Long John Silver and uh, or not Long Davey John Silver, Davy Jones and yeah. uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and uh, certainly just like the crazy like decayed you know, vampire effects that he has in this movie. Um, But like, he just, but like his performance still carries so beautifully through all of those different sort of prosthetic effects and, and whatnot. And, and he really, he really, yeah, he really goes for those roles. He's very good at uh, using his eyes and performance. Like, like when you look at this role and Davy Jones, those are good examples because of all the makeup so you, you you can't really emote using regular facial expressions like you would normally do. It, the performance is all in the eyes. Yeah. And it's really effective. And also, like the, I think like the way... like We talk about uh, how Christopher Walken has a very distinctive way of delivering lines. I think Bill Nye has a very distinctive way of delivering a line, too. Yeah, he does, like definitely. The way, the, the, sort of the, the way he chooses to highlight certain words. And yeah, like definitely, absolutely. Also, um, I, I kind of liked the sort of weird tics that he had while he was sort of like undecaying like mm-hmm. there are like a few moments where he just kind of has these weird right. these weird ticks of like his body just sort of still like still coming back to life um yeah it was a lot of fun a lot of fun to see him do it and and yeah he just and he just injects it with like the deepest of stakes while he's doing it and what did you think about the final confrontation between him and Celine? um i mean i think that you know Everything in that third act was pretty muddy, so um, I certainly think, again, that his performance was pretty great, but also, like, by that point, like, the movie is just throwing so many different action trajectories at you that, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't get enough time to, like, breathe between the two of them, and then, like, once he kind of is facing down um, Michael, who is now, like, this new hybrid, you know, it's, it's him just... It's him just kind of do it, do it, bearing his fangs and doing it really well. Um, but uh, but we don't get uh, as much opportunity to see him shine. But uh, but yeah, no, I think um, yeah that th- yeah the final confrontation during those reveals is uh, yeah definitely pretty pretty compelling and pretty well done. Um, yeah, I think for me what what really sold it for me though was like the first confrontation in a way between him and Celine like after he's woken up and and he's like explaining to her that like she's going to have to be punished because she mm, disrupted right. the bloodline like that that scene was like one of my favorite scenes in the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, he really commanded the the, the shitty dialogue. In- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's go to the next segment. Our next segment's called Boo-Tube. Boo-tube. We're talking about the gratuitous sex and nudity in this movie, if there is any. Um, no, nah, not that much. No nudity. Really. There is a lot of, like, sexual overtones, I think, in the movie. Yeah, I think... Um, we get a lot of vampire floozies walking around their co- <laughs> all the fetish wear that they wear yeah that's a thing it's very leather heavy um the vampires are are all rocking that yeah that very that very very like kink club right. style um uh to the nth degree um, what's very interesting to me also and that is like how this movie is pretty chaste overall the next film has a fair amount of sex and nudity in it but uh, but for this one, you know, I've, they they presented like the the main romantic relationship is actually a pretty chaste relationship. Yeah. Also, the other thing that uh, I I found a little puzzling, and and it seems like the movie kind of hints at it a little bit, uh, that like we don't really see the vampires like go on the hunt at all. And and like, yeah, we could probably talk about that in the context of the violence, but like, you know, like generally when it comes to like vampires, like being on the hunt, you know, they, they typically, it's very sed- lusty. yeah, it's, they, they usually seduce their, uh, their, uh, targets into a vulnerable position. The before sex they- is taken out of the, um, of of the supernatural element for both because I feel like even werewolves have a sense of um, both of them vampires and werewolves have like a sense of like sexuality to them a little bit yeah I mean I think with werewolves there's it's it's a little more unrestrained and a little more violent because yeah. it's like I mean again they they go to the lengths of explaining that the lichens are you know more cognizant and you know they they are able to transform at will and all that stuff but like usually the depictions of werewolves that i i you know i'm more familiar with it they tend it it tends to kind of be this whole like oh when the full moon happens right they just like lose all control and and are just like these violent ravage beasts um mm-hmm. whereas like vampires generally when they're hunting they're a little more they're much more deliberate and and much more tactical about like you know picking someone out and right then, and then charming them and getting yeah. them into their grasp i think like the you know the vampire lore is definitely steeped in that uh just like brooding lustful sexuality like the whole point of, of like seducing like you said and transform transformation yeah. stuff like that yeah and, and and there's and there's none of that in this movie and and so i know that there's like the bit where um celine explains that like you know they've got like this uh this medical company under their thumb so that, cloned blood that, that clones blood for them and so. apparently they used to drink livestock blood and that's the whole point with like bill nye's character is that every once in a while he would slaughter humans and in his case he slaughtered Celine's family yeah yeah and I guess yeah that was the thing that I was missing was they say oh okay so when they talk about livestock blood they talk specifically about like you know cows or whatever right right? but then like obviously it's like oh so it's interesting that these vampires seem to have a rule against eating humans yeah they don't eat humans um which uh I mean, if vampires ate all the humans, then everybody would be a vampire, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, but yeah, that is pretty common through vampire literature is that they do hunt humans, but... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not in these well, movies. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you've got the whole Twilight thing where, you know, Edward Cullen's... 
right. coven is is of veggie vampires yeah. that don't they eat don't. humans, mm-hmm. but then the the main antagonists of those books tend to be human yeah. human munchy folk. Other than Celine, the other big female character of note was Erica, played by Sophia Miles, who I, I guess she's like a courtesan in the coven or something like that. She's the uh, Craven's wannabe girlfriend. Yeah, that, that that dynamic was interesting, too, that it seemed like she had more interest in Craven, though... Um, it, it wasn't as clear how, how much of it was actual desire for him versus how much of it is like, you know, utilitarianism. So because power, like, probably. Well, yeah, because like, yeah, he's he's the guy in charge and she knows enough to know, like, you know, keep yourself keep yourself in good relations. Yeah, with she the was person. interesting because she was like kind of like playing both sides, but it was all for her own advancement. Yeah, yeah. That that would have been I guess that's the thing too is that like there's so much cool backstory stuff going on, but mm-hmm. like the the actual current day political climate didn't seem to get as well fleshed right. out. And so that that's something I would have liked to have Could seen have a little more attention mm-hmm. um, in terms of like just what the specifics are of like why Craven is so into Celine, uh, where Sophia's um, Erica, Erica, where you know where Erica fits into all this with the pecking order, and uh, yeah, I would have, I would have liked to have seen more, more of more attention paid to that, and a little more fleshing out of that, and and again, if you add in a little more political intrigue, then you know that that gives the movie more opportunities to find ways to set itself apart from. The Matrix. Overall, did you enjoy the character of Erica? Do you think it was a, a very well realized character, or do you uh, think that she was kind of two dimensional? Um, I think a little underbaked. Um, maybe oddly enough, maybe not necessarily as underbaked as Celine in some ways. I think Celine has more in way of backstory, but like Erica, it's it's kind of ended up being kind of compelling in her own right as somebody who kind of plays both sides. Right. And she doesn't have that much to do, but I think she's definitely. Prefer- Performed pretty well, and um, and uh, yeah, and she so, services the plot well. I mean, she's the one who lets uh, Celine go, and eventually, um, yeah, she she is the one kind of like fucks it up for her to begin with too, because she's the one who who scares Michael away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Len Wiseman, the director, actually uh, points out uh, that that scene where when she wakes Michael and then she gets scared and she's on the ceiling and she looks down and hisses at him. Like he says that that's his favorite shot of the movie, yeah. And uh, that's a lot of people's. Uh, would, they they tend to like that that shot of like her hissing and and that's noting, a cool. Like, that was a cool moment, you know. Definitely. Like her her teeth are extra long and pointy in that. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. I, I noticed that definitely too. I was, you know, yeah, because I think like they're yeah different different vampire media seems to seems to convey different degrees of like transformation in mm-hmm. the vampire there seems to be a bit of a bit of a vamp face thing right um buffy the vampire slayer i think that takes like the most extreme approach yeah. to it where like their face gets very like you know bumpy and stuff right. like that um but like there's a little bit of that in twilight too mm-hmm. i think um and this one seems to kind of toy with that a little bit because like the vampires for the most part look pretty human but then like you'll see isolated moments where like their eyes turn bright blue and then their fangs and long eight as well so um so that, that was an interesting 
interesting take on a sort of the the vamp face transformation side of vampires. Um, but yeah, I agree that that was a pretty cool scene and a, and a pretty cool shot when she's like, yeah, sort of freaks out, goes on the ceiling. It's weird. Yeah, both both the vampires and the lichens seem to like not moving on the floor. Yeah, um, right. Especially like, the lichens. They seem to really like that formation of like, nope, we're just going to take the walls yeah. and the ceiling. Walls and ceiling. <laughs> um, Which yeah. uh, it makes sense for vampires, but I've never heard of like werewolves, werewolves. having like Spider-Man powers. Yeah, that, that was a little odd for me. And and again, like, yeah, those those effects shots were... Okay. Yeah, they were. They were helped by how drab and right and desaturated. I, I I'm not sure whether I use the right word saturated or desaturated. I think in this case it would be desaturated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I goofed a little earlier then, but uh, yeah, the desaturated color scheme. Um. So how do we feel about Celine? Celine is our main female character in this movie. She is the main character of the movie. Yeah, she is. Um. I mean, you know, she definitely propels this plot forward in a pretty significant way um i i really dig i really dig like the way her understanding of the situation shifts Mm -hmm. it's clear that her understanding of the situation shifts uh because she she shows a lot of loyalty to victor um even even as she sort of flouts the traditions right um which which i think is is kind of a, a cool place to work from as the character that like you know it's interesting that like victor talks a a fair bit about like you know when he's first awakened about like you know how uh craven kind of like seems to have let the coven sort of decay Mm -hmm. and and become weak and stuff like that so like so uh so uh Celine is like an interesting character in that like she's just so gung-ho about like being on the hunt and stuff like that and and sort of and and again like flouts tradition a lot even as she shows such like deep deference to Victor um I think that like you know like the description of the movie that you gave us in the beginning that talks about how Celine is like in love with Michael and that sort of is the is like the the linchpin i guess of 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 where where she kind of evolves in her right. you know in her loyalties and i don't i mean like there there is a romance layer to it but it doesn't necessarily get that well fleshed out because Michael yeah. mainly just kind of seems to be along for the ride i think that's a weakness of the movie too yeah like that they they sort of show like yeah there's an attraction they share a kiss and Michael kind of tends to be like let me stay with you and she's like no I'll be back for you right. and and then she sort yeah, of yeah because he has no agency <laughs> yeah and, and and then and then like she kind of you know she then kind of breaks off from the rest of the group during like the final attack on the on the lichen layer but like there's not that much depth given to like her deciding that she's doing it specifically for Michael. Like it's clear that's what she's doing because obviously she's saving his life when she knows the rest of her comrades are there to kill him. But um yeah, it just kind of yeah, the movie doesn't doesn't quite give us as much clarity around that. Mm-hmm. So um but I do think Celine is an interesting character in that regard and um yeah, a great way to 
a great way to propel the story forward. She is a very interesting character. I, I actually dig... Uh, a lot of the credit goes to Kate Beckinsale because I actually dig her performance. Uh, yeah, I think she was quite good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, especially, like, it, a lot of people have noted her icy English composure. Yeah. Which I like. I mean, she's... It, like, we were talking about earlier how the movie takes itself too seriously. And I feel like her performance kind of gets lost in the overall seriousness of the movie. Yeah. Because if the movie were allowed to be a little more fun and be a little more campy, then her total coolness would stand out more and would seem even more cool, I think. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair take. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I still dig it. I think that she's still pretty strong as Celine. Now, at the time of, of, this, uh, of this film... Uh, Kate Beckinsale was known mostly for doing period pieces and playing quote unquote lovely girls, you mm. know. So she took this role to shake up her image a little bit. And it's interesting that she played a vampire, uh, a death dealer uh, here, a vampire, not a vampire killer, but a vampire who kills. Yeah. <laughs> a vampire who hunts. And then uh, a year later, she played a human who fights vampires in a film called Van Helsing, which is a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the her, her roles in this, the sequel to this, and Van Helsing, she became known as an action girl. And in the 2000s, she was pretty much cast in action roles. It wasn't until 2016's Love and Friendship where she began to return to her period and romantic comedy roots. Hmm, um, and I mean, that's pretty cool. I feel like she, she's a kind of actress, like, again, like I said from the beginning that she, she got like kind of pigeonholed into these certain types of roles, uh, especially, you know, for a while there in the decade where she just played action roles. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't think I've followed too many of her <clears throat> movies i haven't seen that much of her but mm-hmm. um yeah that's always been my sort of conception of her at right. a glance in the in the pop culture yeah oeuvre that um she she seemed that that yeah i sort of always associate her with like these kind of darker maybe not as massively successful right uh, she's definitely a, B, a b-level actress yeah. i would say but um, but I think she's pretty. She's quite good. I think she yeah. she has the chops. I think ordinarily and the, certainly the looks to be an A level la- actress. I just think it's just you know so a lot of those things is just timing and yeah and definitely I, yeah I think she she definitely she definitely like fits in very well with like the 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 matrixy right. leathery kind of aesthetic yeah like I think she 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 handles that very well and again she yeah she's got that sort of sternness that's very that's very evocative of Trinity but also right. like has like a little more a little more severity to it and a little more hardness to it that I think is really fitting for being like a kind of a a, a top notch, you know, vampire warrior. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think she 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 fits in very well with this world. Um, interesting about her relationships with uh, the the cast and crew, I guess, of this movie. So when she was in this movie or uh, filming this movie, she was in a relationship with Michael Sheen. They had a long term relationship oh. together. They actually have a, a kid out of it. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, but then. 
They broke up shortly after the release of this movie. She ended up marrying the director of this movie, Len Wiseman. Okay. Uh, and when they divorced just a couple of years ago, they didn't remain married. But um, it's interesting when she talks about, so like Michael Sheen and Len Wiseman, they worked together again um, for the third movie. And and of course, Kate Beckinsale came back for the for the next movie, the... the um, Evolution, the sequel, and then... Did did Len Wiseman direct that one? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, And all three of them seem to have, you know, remained fairly close. Michael Sheen and Len Wiseman, they talk about how good friends they became through the filming of of this movie and Rise of the Lycans. And then uh, Kay Beckinsale and Michael Sheen, like I said, they have a kid together who they they raise uh, together. And she's actually mentioned how Michael Sheen is her best friend. Even to this day. So I, I, I don't know. I just find that interesting that yeah. we have like a friends sitcom friends style love triangle <laughs> a, a going little on. Bit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> quite quite the triangle. Yeah. So wholesome. The yeah. <laughs> Behind the scenes. That's that's good that that's good that they they, they seem to remain good friends through it all. So that's, yeah. that's good. It can be tricky, you know. It can be very I mean, tricky. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, uh, yeah, being, you know, being on a shoot is is a very intense process. So, uh, and we yeah. all know, as two actors, we all know about those damn showmances. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, those showmances, indeed. They're so intense and short lived, and then afterwards, you're like, wait a minute, why do I like you again? Yeah. <laughs> very true. <laughs> very, very true. All right, let's go into our final GSV segment. This one's called. And that's problematic. I want to talk specifically. I'm, uh, I mean, we can talk about anything that you felt, but I want to specifically highlight the allusions to race in this movie. Uh, again, the writer Kevin Graveau, he, sta- he stated that the Celine Michael love story, um, who he compared uh, to Romeo and Juliet, but he also says that all that went into it was based on his own experiences. Of inter relation of interracial relationships, uh, so do you think that that was like effectively conveyed in the movie? Um, I mean, I I'm not sure that uh, Celine and Michael's uh, relationship is necessarily the most fitting example of it. Right, it's because a, so, it's Sonia and Lucian. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, Sonia and Lucian is 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 kind of is more the Romeo and right. Juliet of the film, uh, if anything, because again, like Michael, his whole role in the plot is about the fact that he can be kind of this hybrid lichen mm-hmm. vampire. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, that yeah, that didn't necessarily read to me that much. I'm I'm not sure that there was much that I picked up about their relationship in the film because again, like their relationship is very underserved right. overall in the film. We don't get a lot of anything right. about their romantic connection in the film. Um, so so yeah, I think there's there's more there's more to that dynamic in the Lucian situation. Um, certainly, you know, there's something to be said for uh, Victor's like kind of insistence on the purity of the bloodline and the fact that they have these traditions and that you know elders have to be the one to resurrect one another and stuff like that. So all of that is definitely you know evocative of the you know the insistence of the purity of the bloodline, the right. fact that Victor. Is is you know so cruel as to you know murder his own daughter for mm-hmm. uh, 
for for being in an affair with uh, with a like and and all of that stuff. Um, there was one thing that um, visually uh, struck me, and that was um, the face off between. Soren and um uh, I forget the the name of the the lichen who has the insanely deep voice. Oh, uh Razor. Razor. Mm-hmm. Um the played conf- by Kevin Gervo. Yeah, played by Kevin Gervo. Um because um uh I I I I'm not sure how I felt about the fact that when the two of them face off, the only black lichen faced off against a vampire who wielded two whips. To fight him. Right. So I think the visuals of that were... I, I I will say I noticed the visuals of that. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how, how I felt about it. Um, I will say that it... You know, it was the fact that like, I, saw the, I saw him sort of like pull out the whips. And then shortly after that, Razor transforms into his lichen form. So we never necessarily see like that character getting whipped while he's in his human form. But there was something in that, in the visuals of that, that was a little evocative that just kind of, you know, made made my stomach tighten up a little bit. I wonder if that was purposeful i don't know this kind of makes you think uh, yeah As, since I'm, they're kind of then since they they are aware of the racial illusions yeah in the film and and so yeah i mean i i, I would imagine I, I my guess is probably that there is something conscious in that um and i mean razor is not the only black character in the film right um but but the the characters of color are few and far between in the film. So uh, so yeah it, yeah, it was it was enough that it, it stood out to me that they kind of decided to go with that choice. And I'm not sure how necessary that was, given that um, anything else that the film has to say or convey about race or what it brings about the conversations around race into its story. Like there's there's not a lot of nuance there. Mm. That's there's so. Yeah, I think I think the decision to kind of then have that visual as well not really necessary, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that helps or adds anything to the story. So now I did say that the that uh, Kevin Corvo's character's name was Razor, but it's actually Raze. I just want to make that oh Raze, good good call, good call out Thank there, um, which actually is sounds like race a little bit Raze Raze yeah. R A Z E yeah Z E. Yeah, um, raise like I guess like yeah, it's like a raise as in like to burn or something like that. Like you, you to raise, raise, yeah, yeah, raise a village. That's um, what I would say. Yeah, did you catch anything else that was problem problematic to you? Maybe like outside of the racial debt. Well, um, did, you said that obviously there's not a lot of like uh, minorities, but there are quite a few minority actors, not in prominent roles. Yeah, well, there's there's Rays, there's um, there were some Asian Americans or or Asian actors. I don't know. If they were yeah, Asian yeah. Um, one and there was the the also the, the there was a, a black actor who played uh, the the sort of the gunsmith right. for the for the vampires as well. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, the movie seemed pretty white for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as far as like other problematic things. I don't know. Um, it's yeah. The <laughs> I don't know. There, there is something about like how when Celine first gets back to the uh, the coven, um, and and 
and like multiple characters are like harping on Celine to get dressed because right. like they've got you know they've got these important guests that they're going to be she's entertaining. She's got to be soon. by Craven's side, you know, and she's got to be by Craven's side and be his arm candy a little bit. And again, I think that like all of that is kind of in service of the fact that like Craven is this ineffectual guy who right. has all these affections for her that she clearly doesn't return. They don't really do much with it anyway, and I'm not necessarily sure that I'm going to fully label that like a problematic thing. I just found that he does. Kind of he does end up slapping her at one point. Yeah, he does give her that one slap, um, which is is a little, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not great, but also like they are all vampires too. So and and also like again, she she shows him zero deference. Like right. there's there like he really does not have he really does not seem to have any sort of power at all over her in his relationship with her. So like, you know, and, and, and she clearly, you know, has no issue with smacking him around yeah. and, and she gives it right, right back to him in a later moment. Um, uh, so, so right, yeah, the, kicks him right in the nards, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, there's there's like a weird there's like a weird sort of light sexual politics thing going on as far as like Craven and his wanting to have a woman be subservient to him, but the movie doesn't really go into what that is with right. any level of depth, so it's tough to even And Celine say. is fairly strong as a female character. Well, that's so. the thing, yeah, too, is that, like, Celine, yeah, she's she's very strong, she's very self-assured, and um, certainly, yeah, not, does not really, yeah, there's really, like, no objectification of her no, she's pretty at chaste. all in the film. Like, she, in she fact, just kind of, yeah, she just kind of you know, she she's pretty much doing her own thing for almost the entire movie. Basically. In fact, uh, there there was originally in the script there was supposed to be a scene where Celine was in the shower. She comes out of the shower or something, and it was supposed to be, I guess, but for all intents and purposes, a nude scene. Yeah. But uh, that was cut from even being filmed because Kate Beckinsale in her contract she doesn't do nude scenes. Yeah. Um, now in the next movie there is a sex scene between her and Scott Speedman's character Michael. However, even though we do see a fair amount of skin, all the right body parts are covered tastefully. Yeah. Um, and but the next movie also it's cra- it's crazy like the next movie also has like pretty wanton gratuitous nudity uh from other random vampire women yeah uh, but this movie is just very chaste all around there's yeah. really not a lot of uh sexuality at all yeah which like you know uh, in a way like uh i don't know like uh, i guess it kind of works for this movie uh, yeah. again like for its kind of dark serious tone yeah um yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe if there was a little more gratuitous nudity, maybe that would be a way for it to set itself apart from the Matrix. Because again, it just right. it all fits in that Matrix vibe, which the Matrix doesn't have that much sexuality, with the exception of the Zion orgy and yeah. uh, Reloaded. But um, we don't need to talk about the sequels. No, we, <laughs> we really don't. We really don't. Um, the first movie was perfect as it was. It didn't need a sequel. Amen. Amen. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, let's talk about the final thoughts about this movie. What uh, what do you think? Do you think that Underworld is a bad movie, a so-so movie, a good movie, a great movie? Where do you fall? Hmm. Hmm. You know, I think 
I'm gonna be a little generous here, and I'm actually gonna give it a good. Like, okay. I just, I don't know. Like, the, I think that like the backstory stuff just like really, really had me invested enough to mm-hmm. stick it out, and and uh, and 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 that stuff definitely was a lot of fun. Um, I think it also benefited from great performances from Bill Nighy and Michael Sheen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, Kate Beckinsale was a fantastic uh, leading role to you know mm-hmm. move stuff forward um and uh while the movie itself is pretty derivative and the action is pretty uninspired and again it's got a pretty messy third act um i i don't know it just there was something about it that seemed a little greater than the sum of its parts that that made me go like yeah this is pretty good experience um i don't know if part of it's just how it stands in comparison to some of the other films we've seen right, on this I mean, series honestly um because yeah <laughs> I, I think like in comparison to like you know your death stalkers and what have yeah. you like it's 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 it, it is a piece of schlock to be sure but yeah. like it's a pretty tightly structured piece of schlock and and does benefit from uh you know fairly competent filmmaking and uh you know, from a story that that does thread itself out pretty well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I thought it was I thought it was good. You good verging on so so is what I'll say instead of so so verging on good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would agree with that. I I would think that it's good verging on so so. I think that, like you said, I think this is a movie that the the sum is a little greater than than its parts. It's like I said from the beginning. I feel like the backstory is almost too good for the movie that we got. Yeah. Um, and that really is the thing that that keeps me interested is getting all those little tidbits of the backstory. And I want to I want to know more about it. And it makes me want to watch the prequel now because I just want to like see the that that's the story that I want to see. Like this story is is cool and all, but um, it's not as cool as the world that they created around it. Um, and uh, like we said, the design, everything is pretty derivative. The action is frankly kind of boring. There's yeah. not a lot to cry home about. Um, it really would have benefited from having uh, one or two just better constructed set pieces that stood out. And. There surely is a way, if you have a movie about vampires versus werewolves, there's got to be a way to construct a set piece that is memorable, you know? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that now, too, because I think it's like, you know, uh, on the one hand, uh, yeah, I, I like that they, you know, are trying to convey that the war... The, the centuries-long war between vampires and lichens has 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 uh, evolved with the technology of the times. Right. But like by the same token, it's like you know vampires and werewolves are biters. Like they're biters, and, yeah. and you know they're traditionally conceived in most media as like melee fighters. Right. And so um, there's not a lot of brawling. In this so yeah, movie. there's yeah there's not a lot of that at all, save for like the face-off between uh, Bill Nighy and Michael, Michael at the very. And so maybe maybe that 
was something that they could have incorporated. Uh, I mean, again, we don't necessarily want to rip off the Matrix's kung fu either. Right. But like, even just making them a little more tense, I feel like yeah. the the action just plays out as uh, okay. We're gonna sh- have a shoot 'em up here. Yeah. But there's no pew, suspense. Pew, pew, and move on. Like yeah. There's nothing. You know, there are no real stakes to it. The, yeah. the stakes are more in like what the backstory is and. And a little bit in what the present story is, but I feel yeah. like I've never felt maybe like a little more horror, yeah, a little yeah. more like horror suspense right. to the action sequence. I, I never felt, that, I like, never yeah. felt like Celine was in danger of not accomplishing her goals. Yeah, you know, in a way, like there, there was one good moment, which was uh, when uh, the vampire gunsmith. He, um, you know, he he like shoots at the lichen in like the dark room, right? But then gets ambushed from the side, and, right? And you have the, we the, had like the clever, the clever girl, girl moment, moment. Um, and uh, so so a- yeah, again, maybe, derivative. Maybe, yeah, again a little derivative, but maybe yeah, more moments like that, like you know, maybe yeah. maybe incorporating more jump scares right. into the action sequences. Yeah. That would that would be a way to to give the film something that's a little more unique that taps into its monster film roots, yeah. and then. St- but it also has that sort of modern Matrix shoot 'em up mm-hmm. aesthetic at the same time. I think so. it would have really benefited from that—a little more atmosphere. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of atmosphere, or it's not a really moody film, film either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it just kind of trucks along. Yeah, it just kind of trucks along. So. But but yeah, but the story still—it it, it, it was interesting enough that that right. it was it was it was pleasantly diverting as I watched it. It's a fun movie, definitely, definitely. All right, so that brings us to the end of another episode of GSV. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ned, thank you for watching Underworld with me. Thank you for not killing me. <laughs> I, you were never in, in danger of that happening. I, well, uh, <laughs> I got something to tell you, man. Uh, this guy bit me. No! <laughs> well, I hope that um, even if you turn and, you know, go on your way murdering people. I hope you come back and join me to do another episode. Um, (laughs) And we hope that you guys out there, uh, I hope that you guys stay safe uh, from Ned's wrath and his lustful affectations. Um, And I hope you guys come back and join us to listen to another episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence. Until then, go watch some movies. Let's give me a blood bag. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just you guys always bring the very best part.